Welcome to the PRS podcast. I hope you're enjoying this series. If you have any questions or comments, visit us at jewishpluralism.org. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And by the way, my name is Rabbi Patrick, Director of Innovation for PRS, sitting here with my very good friend, Rabbi Sandy Zisser, founder and director and Rosh Hashiva and uh, counselor and, 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 and. So today we're going to be discussing, I'm going to exactly wait, 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 show it. Uh, Patrick, hold on a second. Hold what? On. Really? Hi, everyone. Okay, so we're doing a turn the tables episode. So Patrick, you need to stop talking for a minute. Oh, yes. I'm going to start because yeah. I, I know I know you're used to this intro thing and everything else. Is great, <laughs> but but this is uh, my day to start asking you all these questions that you asked me the last time that that's I true. didn't know were coming. So and if I could go back, I would change some of the answers now. But that's something else. Um, and maybe because I'm going to edit it, I will change the answer. Yeah. You never know. Uh, but so we are here today in our, in our uh, latest podcast. I'm hoping that you are also enjoying the series and that you're uh, joining us and subscribing on whatever platform you're listening to us. So you can uh, always get the newest episode right onto your mobile device or computer or wherever you're listening. So Patrick, here we go. Ready? So today is a turn the tables day. So we will find out a little bit more about you as a person and uh, what makes you tick. So ready? Let's do it. Because you know, I, I sometimes could be a very hard interviewer and this might not be so great. So we'll find well, out. You do, you do work with teenagers. And so I figure if you apply <laughs> any of those Jedi mind tricks on That's me, true. No, I'm no, I promise, I promise not to do them willingly. We'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. So gotcha. let's do it, man. So let's see. So you actually have, we were just talking right before we started recording this podcast, is that you are a guy with a laptop and a yes. vision, right? Yes. So what let's go way back to the beginning or even before the beginning of, of your first YouTube video. Okay. Okay. And what made you want to start that? Because YouTube was like this baby organization and diapers, nothing really was going on. Right. And then you had this idea to broadcast online for the first time. So what was that about? Yeah. So it really wasn't the broadcasting online that, that was the original idea, to be honest with you. What happened was that I had been for a few years in uh, rock bands, punk bands, and I was living in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was having sort of this spiritual journey, and that led me one day to go to a synagogue, which I will, you know, we have the don't name names policy, so I'm not going to say who it was, but it was the only time I could go to a Megillah reading that didn't conflict with my work schedule. And so, you know, I'm, I'm in nightclubs, right? And I'm, so I'm, I'm working at night and Jewish life happens at night, right? It happens on nights and weekends, um, you know? So I go to this Megillah reading that's at like 9.30 in the morning. And as a person who works in the evening world, 9.30 a.m. might as well be like your three in the morning, right? I mean, it's just sure. absurd, right? Sure. So, so I go... And I don't know anything, right? Like, I don't know what the protocols are. Um, there aren't these YouTube videos that I can watch that tell me what to do. You know, at best, I'm going to have to buy a book and like read through the book before I show up. So I don't know what I'm doing. So I show up for uh, the Megillah reading. Well, 
you know, I didn't know that synagogues do the same thing that nightclubs do, where they tell you when the doors open, but actually the show starts later. So, so I show up for a Megillah reading, and really I'm there for Shachrit, right? So, so I'm like, oh, great. So I show up, and now I know what that was, right? Now I know that, like, I showed up during, like, Pesuke de Zimra, Mm -hmm. and, you know, all these other things, and I'm sitting there, and I don't know how to wear my talus, because they just have the gadol, they have the huge ones, they don't have the little band-aid ones, and so I'm, I'm I'm like there and I'm basically wrapped myself up like I'm a, a kid in a security blanket, right? And I'm watching this thing and, and the, the atara is like itching the back of my neck and I'm like annoyed. And then someone comes by and asks me if I'm a Cohen or a Levy and I'm like, uh, no. And then the, this guy says, well, do you want an Aliyah? And I'm like, I'm just here to visit, <laughs> you know? So it's just this like very awkward thing. So then the rabbi does the the reading, you know, Boo, Heyman, all that good stuff, comes back down, comes up to me, and I don't know, you know, there's that, there's that line uh, when Moses sends the scouts in, and the scouts come back, and they say, we're like uh, crickets in their eye, uh, they were, you know, we were like crickets in our own eyes, so we must be to them, basically, like that line, so it was that moment, because I remember this rabbi being like 12 feet tall, right? And having like this beard that went down to the floor. And I know that's not true, but just in my mind, I remember it that way. So the first thing he says, you know, this very, you know, you're a rabbi, you're a shul rabbi, you got to think about membership here, right? You got to like charm the people is, who are you? I'm like, wow, what a wonderful introduction. I gave my (laughs) name. What's your last name? Do you have any family? Do you have any kids? Are you married? Where do you live? What do you do? And I'm like, I feel like I'm being like interrogated, right? Right. right. And then, and I was like, you know, I, I work in nightclubs. And so, and so here's what I told the rabbi. I said, I work in nightclubs, so I'm never able to make it to anything. So mm-hmm. I thank you for, for having this. And, you know, they're passing around the Zadaka box. Right, so right. I, dropped, I dropped a 20 in the yeah. Zadaka box, right? Made sure to show him that I was dropping a 20 yeah, in yeah, the Zadaka yeah. box, right? They're like, no humility to that at all. Of course. You know, and, and I was like, hey, you know, I hope this goes to help the community. And of course, he doesn't respond to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, yeah, you know, thank you for doing it at this time. That helps people like me and, you know, whatever. And then he said, okay, 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 okay. All right, well, you can come to the, the Purim party tonight. And, and I'm like, did you not even hear a word that I said? I just told you this was the only thing I could come to right? That there was a reason right, right. why I came to this because this was the only game in town mm-hmm. where, I could, where I could go to something. So I went home uh, from that and I'm living with my best friend who's a gentleman named Justin Kerfman, mm-hmm. uh, the front man for a very successful band called Feeding Fingers. Hopefully he'll listen to this uh, podcast and you know, hopefully Spotify and all those platforms will increase their royalties. They should be paying all these artists, people like him. That's my mm-hmm. own little statement. I, I, I believe I use this podcast to make my little statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, anyway, so Justin and I are, are talking and, you know, I, I told him about this experience and I don't know if he was the one who said you should make videos or if it was because he and I had this almost like think tank type of life where we were both artists, we're both working on projects. We have the upstairs is extremely sparse, but it's where my bedroom is and it's where the living room is. And then downstairs is the media lab. So we have like a recording studio, we have a a recording booth, we have all these computers. He's a filmmaker, so he has all his film stuff out. And so it's just this very creative place to be. It was like Andy Warhol's factory. 
you know, like there just always was someone there doing something. There was always like something being made, some like recording being done, some band practicing, just always this flow of creative energy and something about that just works. So I remember finding YouTube and being like, you know what, if that jerk in that synagogue can give me that kind of experience and, and be this great spiritual leader, then why not me? Like, why can't I do that? So the, uh, I looked up the Torah portion. I found something that I thought was interesting and I made a YouTube video. And of course, if you're going to have a YouTube video, you have to have a channel. So I called it punk Torah because I was in punk bands and like Torah is a Jewish word, right? It was literally that much logic. So I did it and that was how it came to be. And it just snowballed from there. But the, the impetus was really like being in this creative environment and being mad as hell at the same time. I'm sure that, that's usually how things work, right? Right, right. I mean, I mean honestly, the, the rabbi did you a favor by being so anti what he should have been. You yeah, know, at, I, should, at that point. I swear, I swear, I should give him a donation. I really do owe him my career. Like, yeah. I'm Zula Tova, as yeah. they say, right? Yeah, like, yeah. this too for blessing. Like, this is, this is great. Like, I mean, that's, this person... Yeah. And, and that person is still at that synagogue. So I guess I oh, could really? go there and just be like, yeah, I, I looked him up the other day. Oh, no, um, that's amazing. Yeah, so right. I really should. I should go there, give him a hug and just be like, you it's gave true. me a career. Thank well, you. you know, it's funny, though, because if you think about it, like, it was such a negative moment, but yet it turned out to be such a positive one. Exactly. You know, yeah. if not for that one conversation, we wouldn't be sitting here doing this. Yeah, you know, and I think it was the... Um, I think it was the best. I think it was uh, Balshemtov. I might uh-huh. be wrong about this. Who said that? You know, sometimes in order to bring out light, you have to go low. Like you have yes, to sink yes. into depths. I think Definitely, is the yes. something like that. Yeah. Um, and and really, like really, it was true. Like being so frustrated mm. and feeling so marginalized by this moment and really it wasn't anything other than it wasn't the what's your name well what's your last name because i know what that is right, right. I, I know when someone asks me what my name is right and my name is patrick bollier i know what that is right. i know i i read that a certain way and um in in a jewish in the jewish world i do of course not any not anymore now that i'm a rabbi i've been doing this a while but um but uh um yeah you know, but, I, what yeah. really t- frustrated me was me complimenting and saying you did something good for me, right? And then that rabbi not even being able to understand what that mm-hmm. meant. Well, because he wasn't like, really listening to you. No, exactly, exactly. That was it. You know, he yeah, wasn't listening yeah. to you, right? And right. and you've done you in in your career, and I I use that term as a broader sense because you've had several, right? You right. definitely have to listen to people because if you're not listening, you're missing the mark, right? Yeah. So yeah. so for sure, like being part of the uh, you know. Being human is to listen. So you have to right. listen to people. Otherwise, you're talking to yourself. Um, so here's so the next question, right? So your family life growing up was probably much yeah. different than mine. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> right? A little bit. Um, give us a little background to how you got to where you are in terms of Judaism. Yeah, so uh, I was the, uh, my family describes itself as a yours, mine, and ours family. Mm -hmm. So my parents both had um, children from previous marriages, and they were 18 plus years older than me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have siblings, um, you know, technically half siblings, but I hate that term, and we never used it in my family. Um, And uh, yet I was in a lot of ways an only child. 
because mm-hmm. I was the only child raised at home. I had, you know, I had a sister who lived with us on and off a couple of times, you know, relocating and things like that, but not living, living, um, not growing up at least. Um, and uh, I was raised in a non-religious, non-Jewish household, mm-hmm. uh, Christmas and Easter, because they're fun. Um, I have relatives who are varying expressions of religious identity. Um, and, uh, you know, but none of that were things that my parents really did for themselves. Um, my father's, you know, uh, sort of ethnocultural background is French Catholic. Uh, my mom is, um, you know, a Southerner. So that sort of, Bapticostal-ish, you know, sort of world that we find here in the South. Um, she was raised uh, partially by her grandmother, who was a um, holy roller, so Pentecostal, nice. uh, I think is what we might call now, call mm-hmm. today. But neither of that really stuck for them. So I was raised in sort of the vaguely American wasp whatever sort of milieu right but not but non-religious um and i came to but i was always interested in spirituality i was always interested in mythology i practiced whatever i thought buddhism buddhism was when i was 13 Mm -hmm. which is a fundamentally different thing than it actually is um but uh you know i i think part of it too is growing up in the south in the 90s um 80s and 90s the rise of the evangelical right um sort of weirded me out a little bit and so i think i had that tension of being very interested in spirituality and even trying out like i remember going to two or three different church services because i just wanted to see like what what is this world that i live in you know who are these people what is this kind of about and i just couldn't it just didn't work for me but um but uh you know i i began to notice the intersection of religion and power at a very early age. And as a person who was spiritual, I knew um, that was a, a problem. I knew there was something there that I didn't like. Um, but I drifted away from all that stuff in my teen years, um, really got into music, um, you know, going to concerts at a skate park, um, stuff like that, um, seeing people starting bands. I was living in, uh, living in, uh, Georgia, then we moved to Washington State, then I was very, very briefly in Arizona. My parents retired and decided to come back to Atlanta, where my mom's family is from. Um, And uh, that was that. So I'm like 20, yeah, 20 years old. I'm in bands. Uh, I've kind of given up on spiritual interests. And then sometime around then, um, I started to kind of understand that I wasn't the center of the universe. And in that time of realizing that I wasn't the center of the universe, I kind of picked back up the spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And Judaism ended up working for me for two reasons. And it's still to this day, I think still applies, which is that it is both universal and particular. So yeah. u- universalism is a wonderful thing. There is nothing about my Judaism that negates someone else's Islam or Christianity or mm-hmm. Buddhism or agnosticism. Nothing negates that. Um, but the problem with being and we've, we actually had this come through on Darshan Yeshiva the other day with a student, uh, not a student, a potential student, um, that, that I kind of wanted to reply this way almost. Mm-hmm. Um, the great, the, this is, universalism is a great thing, and living in a secular democracy opens you to that mm-hmm. um, because you're around lots of different kinds of people. I said the problem with completely, a completely universal way of viewing the world is that what do you do when someone dies? 
how do you honor the change in seasons? How do you consecrate a loving relationship or build a family? And that's where the particular is necessary. And so the particulars of Judaism are, you know, it's a householder religion, um, you know, as, uh, you know, as a few uh, Orthodox women have said to me recently, why do I need to go to shul? That's my husband's job. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that because I'm not an Orthodox Jew, but, Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, this idea that it's not about the temple, it's not about the clergy necessarily. Um, You know, uh, the fact that you have language, text, history, culture, holidays, folkways, mitzvot, if you want to use that term, I would use that term. Um, and that those are the particulars. So like when someone in my community dies, like someone did recently, I know what to do. I know what the steps are. It is obvious. There is no ambiguity here. Um, you know, I know that I have to love my neighbor, whether I like them or not, (laughs) you know, um, so that's why I don't pick fights with, you know, my neighbors. Great. But, you know, that's why I don't pick fights with people. It's just not, you know, it's not helpful. So the combination of the universal and the particular, particular almost weaves together like a half dollar candle, and it allows for something that that is really firm and uh, makes my life a lot more interesting than when I was in punk bands. Being a rabbi is a lot more hardcore than being a punk. Yeah, it's much more punk rock than the punk rock band that you're in, right? Oh yeah, yeah. But it's true. Uh, so so, what is your favorite part of of uh, of being a rabbi? Because I know that you've dabbled. You dabble in both worlds of the independent rabbi and also the synagogue rabbi, right? right? So, so what's your favorite part about about being in in that role, and what do you think the hardest part is for yourself? You know, I think I don't know if this is quite the answer um, that you're looking for specifically, but I like that it's a world that I can create in, right? So, just like when I was in, uh, you know, bands and making art when I lived with my friend in the story Mm -hmm. that I was telling earlier, like this is a, this is Judaism is my new paintbrush. It's Mm -hmm. what, it's what I work with. It's what I get to create with. And so I think that's my favorite part of being a rabbi is that I get to be creative with it. So I can, you know, I'll give you, so I'll give you an example. So I'm working on this uh, class for PRS. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing is I'm gathering up sermons that I have written and I'm, chopping them up and putting them together in safaria sheets, uh, source sheets. And then I'm going to go and record little audio lectures. But then I'm also going to just straightforward record the sermons that I wrote and Mm -hmm. post those on my congregation's uh, Gumroad account, right? Um, Because that was the context I wrote them in. So I'm I'm taking Mm -hmm. what I've done before and I'm I'm editing it in two different ways to serve two different types of purposes. And, and that is so much cooler for me and where I am in life. That mm-hmm. is so much cooler than messing around with a guitar pedal and trying to get this like perfect sound, but it's the same, it's the same thing on some level. Like it's mm-hmm. the same creative process. Um, and honestly, the hardest part for me is that I am very jealous of people like yourself who have these communities of rabbis around you. Um, and these communities of educators, because I, by being a, a creative, I, I think every, all educators who are good are creative. That's just, that's a truism. Um, 
but uh, I think that over the years I've isolated myself a lot um, and I've sort of made myself a little bit of a, uh, as a, as a leader, I've, I've made myself my own kind of, you know, minion of one. Um, and I don't have the community of, of rabbis that, you know, other people do. And fortunately with Darshan Yeshiva and PRS, I've managed to have that. So that has happened for me, but I don't have, you know, a decade of it um, the way that I, I could have. And that's because I was so into doing things myself that I ignored, you know, the relationships that uh, I could have had. So that's actually the hardest part for me is not having as much of the community um, of rabbinic support and educator support as I could have had. Um, and I'm trying to get out from under that. Good, that's good. You should get out from under that. If you can, if you can't, it's okay. You yeah. know, we'll figure it out. Uh, it is true though, you know, I, I definitely have a very large network of rabbinical friends, right? Yeah. And that yeah. was before becoming a rabbi. So they sure. were there because it's just the neighborhood I live in. I mean, you know, I have, you know, five synagogues in a two mile radius. You don't, right. you know, like, you know. Right, well, and it's only gotten smaller for me because I moved from a city with 150,000 Jews to a city with 20,000. Yeah. And uh, even though I'm a shul rabbi and, you know, I know the other rabbis here were very cordial and some mm -hmm. of them have become friends. It's very different than having, you know, six within a walking distance and, you know, having those people kind of in your life all the time. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's a different vibe. And maybe right. it'd be different for me had I moved to New York when I had the opportunity to and, and stuff like that. Maybe, maybe things would have changed. Maybe. But then again, we wouldn't be sitting right here now. Right. right. Because because as you know, from that original conversation with that rabbi, any little thing that's, that changes can change everything. Right. 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 In the future. But yeah. we don't know what that's going to be. So that's right. that's always a, that's a very mystical way of going forward. We're not going down that path. Um, <laughs> OK, so so the next question. So when you um, you converged to Judaism. Right. Right. And you took a name. Right. Right. Which is right. which is something that when I, th that was the, na the name that we're about to talk about was the name that that I met you as. And I'm right. I, I looked at it, I was like, oh, I see what you did there. You know, but like, what was the, the, the purpose or meaning behind the name? And what was the name? First of all, obviously, I'll let you right, say right. it. And then what was the point of, of doing that for yourself? Sure. So, uh, so actually it's two names, right? So oh. I, when I converted, I converted Reconstructionist. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had, uh, my actual Hebrew name is Harav, uh, ha -ha. Yeah. Uh, uh, Adam ben Avram, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I chose the name uh, Adam because uh, the original person, I liked the, that story, and also that the ah sound is the first sound that a child makes. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was kind of cool. But the, the name you're actually talking about yes. is Patrick Olive. Yeah. Yep, that's the uh -huh. name I chose. So I was telling you, I was saying earlier about uh, the rabbi who was like, what's your last name, you know, yeah. and what's in your family and all of that, where are you from? And so... Early on, I didn't understand this concept of sort of the um, Jewish uh, geography, 
right? And how, you know, it, it places like conferences or meetings or, you know, events, people will do this Jewish geography thing. Like, I didn't know that was something you do. So everywhere I would go, it would be like, so what's your last name? Oh, your last name's Boldier? Oh, so, oh, French. Okay, well, so right. where in France? Like right. this very like, and I, I remembered thinking like, you people are so freaking nosy. Like, like what, what is your deal? Like, why are you, oh, Patrick? Oh, so you raised French... Are you, are you Irish? Oh, but your last name, that's French Canadian. So, okay, well, well then where is, where's the Jewish family? Where are they? And then feeling like, all right, great. So I have to out myself as convert. Okay, great. Well, how did you convert? And wanting to be like, this is my private business. Like, let's I, just be, you know, and I didn't understand. I took that as an insult when actually it was interest. Yeah. And no one ever pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, they're, they're just interested in you. This is not, they're not insulting you. If you say that you converted and they ask you a hundred questions, it's because they've maybe never met someone who's converted before or who will admit it. So they think that's interesting. It's like saying you're from Uzbekistan, yeah. right? It's it's not that they don't like Uzbekistan. It's that they've never met an Uzbeki before and they right. want to learn more about it. Right, wherever so, that is. Yeah, wherever, yeah exactly. <laughs> so uh, uh, anyway, so I finally... So the, the origin of why Olive and not Bet, right? Because right. you think Patrick B, is um, early in my music career, I started going by the name Patrick A, all right? And I still kind of hung on to that nickname, even throughout this, this spiritual journey. So then I was like, I'm just going to go, when I, if you look at like the first two or three Punctura videos, I called myself Patrick A, right? And then I went to, I think some, conference or some event or Limud or something. And people kept asking like, well, what's your last name? I'm like, my name's Patrick A. No, what's your, but what's your last name? You know? And I don't know if they thought maybe I was from like some famous family that starts with an A. I, I don't know. So I said, okay, you got me. My name isn't Patrick A. It's Patrick Olive. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I'm going to go by Patrick Olive because that gets me out of this like conversation that That's I have to, so no one ever challenged me on the fact that my last name was Olive. That's and it's so like, funny. And it's like, they, no one knew I was trolling them. Like no one got mm -hmm. that. That's what that was. Right. That, like the likelihood that my name is Olive is just as likely as my name is A, right? Right. Like, it doesn't. Right. Because I've never heard anyone with that last no. name before. Ever no, because it's, it's not no, actually a last name. You just no. made it up. <laughs> yeah. It's like Malcolm X. Like it's right. just a, it's a placeholder. Right. That's funny. Yeah. Um, that, so that's it was actually... all a troll. It was all a troll. <laughs> Mostly to get people to just leave me alone and let me yeah. just like be on their level. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting about that, that, that you thought that, that people were being nosy, but, but they're being curious because in fact, yeah. you know, in fact, the, the, you're not supposed to ask, Right. Someone, if they're, con if they converted, you know, like it's, right. it's because it, once you do, you're considered Jewish regardless of what you do after that. So right. even if you right. went back to your former religion, we'd still consider you Jewish just off the path, you know? Right. But so, right. so the fact that you felt that clearly something was, was off because all people want to do is play the Jewish geography game when right. they meet, because it's such a small population as it is. So you have, and, and, you know, the, the Jewish world is like three inches in diameter anyway. Right. You know, right. like everyone knows everybody. So, right. so there's that part to it, but that's interesting. Like, so I never thought that that was actually the reason why you chose that as a, 
that's a trolling last name. That's awesome. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here you are, right? You're starting the, the Punctura um, name, right? right? For the YouTube right. channel. And then Punctura gives birth to Darshan Yeshiva. Right. 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 So what, what was that step? Like, why? Why would we do that? Sure. So I had, so I had started Punctura and then I found a collaborator to work with me on it. We turned it into a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. He ended up leaving to pursue more of a tech career. Mm -hmm. um, I was happy to stay in this thing and figure out what it was going to be. So at the time, you know, it was like a blog and we were just begging for financial support, you know, mm -hmm. putting out free things, begging for financial support. And then I sort of noticed a tectonic shift that was taking place. And I don't, you know, I don't believe in prophecy the way that mystics do, but I do believe in what Maimonides said about prophecy, which is basically that certain people are just wired for certain things. That wasn't how he words it. I'm using tech parlance, but like he basically said, like prophets are people who just kind of have this awareness of their environment that's heightened over others. And so I've always kind of had a, a version of that. Um, and not in all areas of my life, but just in certain areas, I've, I've always had this. Um, and so I started to realize that the idea of, of content on the internet was going to go in one of two directions. Either you're going to have to sell it like a subscription, or the user was going to be the product. And those are the only two options. And for the user to be the product, you have to have billions of people who are utilizing whatever that thing is. So that's the Facebook model, right? That's the Twitter model, right? The user is the product. And I am against that. I don't like that model. So uh, the other option is that you have to sell something. Um, in the Jewish nonprofit world, it's well getting grants. That's that's sort of option three. But, yeah. but I would argue that you're still selling something. You're just selling it to one person, mm -hmm. right? Instead of, you know, who knows how many. So I thought about, okay, well, we need to switch from this free and asking for donations and trying to get grants model to um, something that we sell. And so I kind of looked at it and I was like, well, what what's going on here? And so you had you know, Ellie Kanfer, and, uh, you know, you had uh, Mechon Hadar, and you had the this sudden re-interest in the Havara movement, yeah. which has now sort of morphed into something else now. Um, and I thought, well, I'm part of a Havara, because I was at the time, and I had bounced between reform, reconstructionist, and at the time, conservative Jewish worlds, and had kind of, you know, had a little spot in each of those three. And I thought, well, this independent minion thing, this like buzz about independent minionim, this is the thing, but we need people who can do that. And also in all of these Jewish communities that can't financially support the rabbinate, you still need one person who knows what they're doing. And, and frankly, Sandy, that's you. Like you are that guy. You are that person that if you weren't a rabbi, I think if you were a transplant to, you know, wherever, somewhere in the middle of Arkansas, they would look to you like you would be that guy. You would be the person doing the bar mitzvah tutoring or helping with a funeral or whatever, even if you weren't a rabbi. And so I thought, well, there's got to be people like that 
throughout the world who could be those people. And I started thinking like, well, a seminary doesn't make sense. Yeah, why would um, it? Yeah, that, that, why would it, right? Of course. Yeah. And this was years ago. <laughs> I was like, so that doesn't quite work. So what could work? And I was like, well, there's, there's these, this title, Darshan, Right, mm-hmm. that you that you use when you talk about the person who gives a, a Devar Torah, right. right? You're you're the Darshan, and the the Darshanim and the uh, and the um, uh, Magid, right? Those two kind of uh, sort of extra uh, careers, extra titles that you could have in the Jewish world that had died down. They were no longer what they meant, what they were at one point in history. And it's like, well, why don't we take this Darshan idea? And like, maybe that's it. It's like being an itinerant preacher. Like maybe that's, you could have these Darshanim, these like kind of quasi ordained trained people who could fulfill these para-rabbinic roles. And the reform movement even tried the para-rabbi thing and then shut that down at a certain point. I don't know the full history on that, but um, so I thought, well, let's try that. And in addition, uh, what you could do is you could take some of the videos and uh, uh, lectures and the text and all of that, and you could also just you know sell that, right? People could just, for their own personal interest, watch right. those videos, things like that. So that's what got launched. And I, I knew it was going to be successful the day that I publicly posted it and all over the website it said like this is not available yet it was a it was a landing page but i was still building the back end so i was building the stuff that would eventually allow you to use the website and someone hacked it and tried to sign up for the course yeah they found a workaround to be able to try to sign up for the course right um it was like on day one and i was like okay like wow this, this, there's, there's a there there. If you're, right, if you're right. willing to spend the time to try to figure out the workaround to sign up for something that doesn't exist, there you go. There you go, right. And then how long did it, did it um, take to realize that conversion was something that people were desperately looking for online? People, yeah, people had always been emailing me about that. Mm-hmm. Always been emailing me about that. And to the point that when I was, uh, in rabbinical school, I, I made a YouTube video about, you know, how I was considering becoming a rabbi. Mm-hmm. And people were emailing me and saying, uh, will you grant smicha? Will you do conversions? Right. Like before, before oh. I ever spoke with, and I think I spoke with like four different pro, we'll call them programs, seminaries and programs right. And, right. and individuals. Um, so maybe even five or six for that matter. But, um, you know, people were asking, well, are you going to, are you going to do conversions? Are you going to do conversions? Um, And I think that's because at one point I was probably one of three Jewish conversion bloggers, like on the internet of any notoriety. And so it kind of would make sense that, you know, that's what people would, would ask. Yeah. And then that of course blossomed into a huge thing that's global. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is amazing. Right. Because what you found was that, that the, your hunch was right and that people were looking for it and continue to look for it. So that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So now I knew it was going to happen. I just knew, I knew it. I knew it was inevitable. It's just every five years I come upon something that's inevitable. And then, and then you have that moment of, do I let it go or do I do something? And Mm -hmm. you're the type of person to do something as opposed to let it go. So there we are. Um, Okay. So now, so next question. So you recently became a parent. Yes. Right. Yes, I did. A month so, and a half ago. So how's that? And, That's and, great. and for all those listening who don't know, 
we were about to know. <laughs> so yeah. how is yeah, that? It's true. It's true. We actually did uh, sort of gradually let people know that uh, we had grown our family because um, there were there were times for me years ago, and it's it's faded away, but there have been people who have uh, kind of obsessed about me online mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. wanted to really get into my personal life in ways that made me uncomfortable. Sure. And, you know, even I've even had to inform authorities at times mm -hmm. uh, that, like I said, that's gone away, yeah. but you, you can't be too careful. Um, but uh, outside of that, yeah, no, it's been great. Um, you know, he's a wonderful kid. He's a teenager. Um, we have so much fun. Um, he's uh, a homebody. And so he likes to like order pizza and play Monopoly and uh, yeah. watch Rick and Morty and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And it's a very, it's a very chill thing. Shabbat has taken on a new meaning for me yeah. um, that I didn't understand. Fully. In what way? Um, first of all, that um, I, I I've been reading this book. I just finished it called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari, um, oh. where it talks about how he talks about all of these different factors that have colluded to steal our ability to focus. Um, and one of them is this idea of you're always tethered to the workplace. And so that, that idea, and as it resonates for us, it's Friday nights, um, being able to, you know, turn everything off and uh, to be able to have focus um, is an incredibly meaningful thing. Now we'll still like, you know, watch TV after, you know, we've had dinner or whatever, but, um, so it's not quite that, but that for me personally, the phone is away, um, that there's no distractions. And even though I was like that before, it has taken on a significance that's a lot greater because I see the way in which generations of young people are being trained to yeah. be constantly on and how that really impacts you. And so seeing, seeing what Shabbat can mean. And I, I, I gave a Devar Torah about this uh, last, last Friday, you know, the idea that Shabbat could be a gift that the Jewish world gives to the next generation of, you know, you are not the sum total of the number of clicks you have on Instagram, right? Like you're just not, that's not who you are. You're fundamentally something else. The avatar that's on the other side of the screen is not you. It is just, you know, a series of neurobiological choices. There is something substantial to you that's different. And that substantially different element of you, soul or spirit or whatever you want to call it, is, is made manifest when you stop. And that even God, you know, there's a, at the, so now you have to hear my sermon that I gave. So it's uh, at the end of the Shamru, it's uh, Shabbat Vayinafash, right? So Shabbat means to cease. And anyone can cease. Like I can like stop using my phone or I can, you know, turn off my computer. Like that is ceasing. But uh, the the fosh is the more interesting part because it's it's nefesh, it's soul. Um, and so when Robert Alter translated translates Vayinafash, he tr he translates it not from the word rested, but to the word catching his breath. And some people don't like that anthropomorphic view of God. But what I would say is that because nefesh is not only breath, but it's soul, at the end of at the end of Vishamru, Shavat Vayinafash, there is ceasing and then there is catching up to your soul or having your soul catch up, worded either way. Um, and that now seeing seeing how necessary that is, I didn't fully understand it until I became a parent.
I knew it was real. I knew that was true, but it is, it is made manifest more, um, um, more substantially uh, in my life. All right. So that, that's, that's great. Happy that you have that. Happy that you have that. Uh, Working and, on it. And, and good for you taking on a teenager because, you know, as you said, I work with them. So I know yeah. there's yeah. amazing, there's amazing reward in that because they're, yeah. they are, they're, they're awesome. So I have a yeah. few questions for you to round out this, uh, this podcast. Cool. Um, three really important ones and one throwaway. Ready? Okay, let's do it. Okay. Ketchup or mustard? <sighs> Depends on the, the entree, I guess. Uh, mustard most of the okay. time. Uh, so spicy or sweet? Um, spicy, but not hot. Okay. And uh, is, is hot dog a sandwich? No. Okay. And now that's... Except, except... Oh, yeah. Actually, there is there is one <laughs> technical difference. Uh, a po'boy, a po'boy, ah, okay. uh, a sausage po'boy mm-hmm. is a hot dog that is a sandwich. Oh, okay. So then in that case, it's a sandwich. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In New Orleans, it's a sandwich. Good. So so regionally. <laughs> in New York, it's not. <laughs> not yeah, no, regionally. No, there ever, you go. Don't there ever call it a sandwich here. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And then, of course, so those were the meaningful questions. And then the throwaway question, of course, is if you could, if you had an open microphone to the world, Okay. Much like right now. And everyone was listening. What would be your message? You matter. That's a perfect answer. That was the, that was those two words. Yeah. Other than my wife saying yes to the, the question, will you marry me? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that that those two words that were said to me by Rabbi Rob Thomas of central Florida uh, have impacted me more than almost anything anyone has ever said to me. It is now the basis upon which I live my life. You matter. You matter. And that, of course, I, I actually truly believe that I, that uh, motto goes across all of the punk Torah universe. Yep, yep. It is, it, that, that phrase makes all of the punk Torah universe possible. It, it would not work without it. And it's hopefully as, a, as an executive director, as a president, um, you know, within the Punctura network, like I hope, I hope that that comes through. It's not always easy, you know, to decide how you're going to spend money or allocate resources or who you're going to hire. But dang, if if that if that one thing comes through, then it's all it's all good. It's all working. Yeah, that's great. So here we are at the end of another episode of our. PRS podcasts. So for those of you who enjoy what you're hearing, please uh, subscribe and make sure to visit us at jewishpluralism.org. And uh, if you really, really enjoy what we're doing, uh, feel free to uh, donate to support us in any way you can. If you uh, really would love to be part of our network, please come over to Darshan Yeshiva or uh, PRS or the Punk Torah universe and find us and um, be part of the family. And until next time, I am Rabbi Sandy Zisser here with Rabbi Patrick Bollier, and we will see you next time.